my wedding was on the roof, was on a rooftop in Adams Morgan. I'd probably have yeah. to at least to the side Yeah. That's specifically why Jason and I weren't invited, right? Because we would have brought running batons. Yes, that's the reason. I, <laughs> yelled. I, I am great to have at weddings because I have an awesome time, but I don't have too much of an awesome time. I usually keep those people <laughs> from going to jail. Oh, um, my wedding was too much of an awesome time. It was, it was from noon to four, and some people were not allowed into the after party at another yeah. bar because they were too toasted. We got our money's worth at our wedding. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. You gotta do it. You gotta do it right. Yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I just noticed that we are actually recording right now. Uh, my name is Adam Taylor. I'm joined, as always, by Ben Bromley and Jason. I get drunk, but not too drunk, Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about D.C. United, the Richmond Kickers, the Washington Spirits, the U.S. national teams, and, uh, you know, whatever else. For some Maybe reason, some- film... Film and the German men's national team also seem to come up from time to time. Maybe we'll write about the Baltimore Blast. Who knows? Who knows, indeed. Today, uh, for the second straight week, we have uh, basically just D.C. United. I guess we'll we'll talk about the U.S. men's national team a little bit later on. We're going to start off talking about D.C. United's somewhat disappointing draw against the New York Red Bulls on Saturday. We'll we'll follow up with uh, a preview of their game against the Houston Dynamo this coming Saturday, also at RFK Stadium. Uh, and if the weather's anything like it was last weekend, you will be really upset if you don't go, because it was awesome. Uh, and we're going to end up with a little news roundup uh, and Twitter box. We're going to open it up and see what questions you, our listeners, have for us. Before we do anything, though, Jason Anderson... What are you drinking? But not too much of, but just enough amount. Uh, also, it's Monday, so there's a reason why we shouldn't <laughs> be drinking too much at this point. Um, I, I did not, we were all, well, two of the three of us were going to be five minutes late, so my drink is as simple as possible. It's, uh, which one did I grab? Now I can't even remember which one I grabbed. <laughs> um, oh, it's, um, you grabbed blindly. It's the Evan Williams single barrel uh, on one rock, which is now melted. So that's it. Evan Williams single barrel. That's it. Watered down. <laughs> Slightly. Ben, what are you drinking? I, uh, uh, like Jason said, two of the three of us were running behind ever so slightly, so I also went with a very simple drink. I made an old-fashioned with Evan Williams and one ice cube. So, yeah. <laughs> I just added a little bitters and simple syrup to my own way. But it wasn't single barrel, so I don't feel bad about diluting it with sugar water. There you go. I uh, I was the one who was not running late, but I already had a drink from dinner. I'm drinking Chateau Saint-Michel uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Is that one of those arsenic wines? Arsenic wines? <laughs> There's this whole recall thing about wines with, like, like Two Buck Chuck apparently has arsenic in it. Well, if I suddenly keel over during the show, you will know. You will have your answer. Okay. Uh, I hope not, because I like Chateau Saint-Michel. They actually sponsor, not us, another podcast. Uh, a friend of mine does. They um, should sponsor us. They should sponsor us, but they're, they're a Seattle thing. Uh, if oh. they were going to sponsor any oh. MLS podcast, it would be No Sadietis. Not us. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it turns out. Yeah. Oh, well. To the soccer you guys, we're not going to mope about wineries not sponsoring us. <laughs> we are going to mope about soccer. Uh, DC United 2, New York Red Bulls 
to Perry Kitchen. Uh, had a brace in this one, giving DC United a two-goal lead. Uh, but two set-piece goals by the Metros drew them level late on, and uh, a draw is is what we got. Ironically, I think it, it was probably DC United's strongest performance of the of the year so far for at least 70 minutes of the game. Before we get to that broader issue, though, Ben, how great was it to see Perry Kitchen step up, especially during a week when a lot of people on the site, um, I think myself included, were calling on him to step up or maybe be the one to see the bench when Marcus Halstead gets healthy? Oh, yeah, it was, I mean... It was definitely nice to see, and this is the Perry Kitchen we saw at times last year, but he wasn't obviously banging in goals at this rate, but he did score, I believe, five goals last year, and we know he has that long-range cannon in him, and we know that he can, from time to time, be good on uh, good in the air. So it was great to see both of those things in his game, and it was great to see him play really an overall good game. Uh, he had been a little hit or miss in his uh, breaking up play, his defensive midfield responsibility. So it was great to see him uh, turn in a good performance on that end of the field as well. So it really was a complete game performance from Perry Kitchen, and it wasn't a moment too soon. Yeah, it was nice to see the both he and Davey Arno um, have an improved performance, especially compared to the last time out in New Jersey when they lost 2 to nothing to the Red Bulls. Um, Jason, what did they do to overcome that the midfield numerical advantage that the Metros naturally have? And the, the Red Bull system almost seems customly, custom designed to beat Ben Olsen's 4-4-2. I know it's not, but if you had to pick one system to go to throw at the 4-4-2 that Olsen runs out, it would probably be Jesse Marsh's 4-2-3-1 high-pressure but DC United coped with it really well for most of the game. Yeah, and I think a big part of it was the start of the game. Um, United showed that they could beat the pressure. Um, they could pass around it. Um, we weren't really passing through the pressure, but we were we were able to find uh, Michael Farfan and Chris Rolfe uh, pretty quickly. We weren't we weren't seeing the struggle we had last time, where almost from the, the straight from the opening whistle, um, New York was forcing a lot of long balls and things like that. There were still too many long balls for, for I think, anyone's liking, but it's still uh, it's a work in progress. But once we started finding um, the wide midfielders and not letting it be 3v2 on the middle with us having the ball, um, we really started to force them to have to step back um, and force them to not press as high. And that actually also saw us step up as well. So... Um, it was kind of a, a series of things sort of working together uh, in concert, but it all starts with getting the ball to the right players quickly, um, not needing to connect four passes to find Roth. Instead, you know, having the confidence and the ability to get the ball out to him without having to knock it around slowly because then New York can get into a position where he's not going to do anything. Um, by getting the ball to him quickly, you force them to just retreat defensively rather than take up any sort of um, smarter position that lets them press afterwards. So that was that was um, that was a big part of it. Um, I think there was an aggressive mindset throughout the team. Uh, it definitely looked to me like Kitchen and Arnaud, uh were un- unhappy with how the last game went and wanted to. They, they played with a chip on their shoulder. They wanted to prove that that wasn't representative of their play um, because in the first game they were chasing. They were just chasing the game the entire time and they never got a chance to dictate anything. 
Um, and this time, New York was the one um, having the game dictated to them. They weren't, you know, by robbing them of their desire to pressure, that kind of threw them out of their stride. And it's really a, a big part of it against a team like New York that wants to press so much is you have to do that early. You have to set that tone in the first few minutes. And from, I think, two or three minutes in, I turned to one of my friends and said, you know, we're, we're starting to do the right thing here. We're starting to get away from their pressure. So that's a good sign that it won't just be sit back and defend, defend, defend the whole time. Yeah, and if you think of these two teams, Bobby Boswell said it after the game, you you take this D.C. United team with a two-goal lead in the second half really almost any day of the week uh, against almost any team in MLS. Um, and if you had to pick a team to score a lot of goals on set pieces, it's probably not this Red Bulls team, which is a little bit undersized. And they have some good delivery, but they don't have a lot of good targets. Uh, ben, two set-piece goals to give up a two-goal lead. Not a great look for D.C. United. No, it's not. And I think, especially the first goal, but both goals really, is where D.C. United really misses Steve Birnbaum. Uh, he's a little taller than Kofi Opare, I believe, and he's been... Like, he stepped in and it was seamless from Jeff Park. Uh, that's why he's getting U.S. national team call-ups. That's why he forced his way onto the field over everybody else. And that's where United misses uh, Steve Birnbaum. And the second goal, Bill's got to do better. I mean, he should have smothered that one and not let the rebound pop out uh, to to let, that, let the New York Red Bulls have a second chance at that one. So... It was uh, to give up the three, the full three points at the end was unfortunate. We expect that. We expect Bill Hamid to make that save, but well, and so does Davy Arnault, who well didn't track his runner as yes, well as he should no, have, the, as the he runner, said himself. Yes, and and that was a big problem too. But yeah, I mean, nine times out of ten, ninety-eight times out of a hundred, you expect Bill to make mm-hmm. that save, but. This time and to hold on to it or to push it around the post. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, letting it out right back in front of the goal, he just, the the ball knuckled on him and he wasn't ready for it and he didn't do as well yeah. as he probably thinks he should have and as anyone else thinks he should have. Yeah. And I, I, I will say on on the first Red Bulls go, goal, though, my, like, I when I got home I watched the replay and uh, it looked to me like it was a, a case of cross wires between Perry Kitchen and Kofi Opari. It wasn't that Opari wasn't tall enough. It's that they both... Kitchen was was marking the guy who ended up scoring the goal. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Jason? Uh, I don't I don't agree with what you're saying. Is what okay. <laughs> well, help, help, me with, help me with the goal scorer's name. Okay. You can disagree um, with me. Okay. Uh, Damian Paranel. Paranel. Uh, it, it looked to me like Kitchen was tracking him and then followed Opari's runner and Opari also followed Opari's runner, leaving Paradell open at the back post. What do you disagree with that assessment? Um, well, in my in my view, Kitchen was marking Dax McCarty when the ball was coming in, and uh, Opari had Paranel. McCarty, Paranel, and another player uh, from New York and his marker. So we had three three DC players marking three New York players attacking. All there, there wasn't really much for New York. Um, there was a big article from Brian Strauss today about New York's uh, plan and and Ali Curtis having dictated where the hand sanitizer goes inside Red Bull Arena and that sort of tyrannical level of organization. That's on page uh, two fifty five of his right. three hundred page plan. 
Um, but for a team that's that allegedly that organized, their corner kicks look like the plan was no more organized than um, your average rec team might talk right before kickoff and say, hey, if I put my right hand up, the ball's going to the back post, and if I don't put a hand up, then it's going to the near post. Um, so New York just sort of lumped the ball towards the back post, and everyone just sort of converged. And the problem was United wasn't uh, quick enough to react to how it was just going to be a bunch of people slamming together. And in the end, if you, if you watch the replay closely, Dax McCarty ends up bouncing off of the crowd of people and sort of spinning the wrong way uh, in, in just to show how much of a collision it was. Um, he just sort of gets flung away from the group. Um, but I think that's why Kitchen ends up so close to Perinell is because McCarty also runs for the same space and just gets tossed aside. Um, Opare gets kind of bulldozed by Perinell. I think he got caught on the back foot a little bit. Maybe he didn't... Um, Maybe he didn't make eye contact with the ball while it was in flight and then didn't realize it was coming as fast. But Perrineau gets his hands on Opare and gets a little shove in, which is a legal shove. I'm not saying that there was a foul. Um, it, it's something you're going to get away with 99 times out of 100. Um, and so he just sort of knocks Opare onto his heels, and at that point, no one really jumped. Uh, Perrineau, is it not like Perrineau uh, got up high and hung up there for a while. He just made more of a jump than everyone else because everyone else knocked into each other and thus couldn't get up off the ground. Um, okay. So, so in my view, at least the goal is, is kind of a team failure, but if, if there's one player that you have to fall on or it, the blame has to fall on mostly, it would be Opare more than anyone else. I feel like uh, um, the analogy I had in my head as I was watching the game is I feel like Opare had a very Chris Corb-esque game where he played fairly well throughout, but he was always a little too far away from the people he was supposed to be marking in various important situations. And so it wasn't... Overall, he had a fine game, but in the key moments, it was it just wasn't quite good enough. I will say, the on a slightly different topic, back to Perry Kitchen, um, Jason, you said it, the the Red Bulls corner seemed totally unrehearsed and was just a bunch of bodies running around, nobody doing anything, not even jumping for the ball. All of that stands in contrast to Perry Kitchen's goal. I don't know if it was rehearsed, but his movement leading up to the corner kick looked rehearsed. He kind of he started out right next to the keeper, almost you know trying to be an obstruction for the keeper, and kind of ran out and then faded back toward the back post and. I don't know if the idea was everyone else was going to the front post and he was fading back to create a pick on his man or or whatever, but he ended up wide open and skied the hell out of, you know, just jumped forever high yeah. to to get to the ball. It was it was a sight. Um, so it was kind of neat to see you know United running a set piece that if it was rehearsed it worked. <laughs> Which is always it, nice to see. And it, it probably was. Anytime you see a guy getting that many three or four good steps to the ball unmarked and then getting to leap unmarked at the ball, that's a good indication that something was rehearsed. It might not have been super intricate, but uh, I think maybe everyone knew where Kitchen was going to be making his run and to clear out space because we're, we're fortunate in that Kitchen is Kitchen gets knocked a little bit for his ability in the air defensively, but in, on corners... Uh, he has a good knack for getting into spots where you wouldn't expect for a guy that's only 5'11". Um, and we're, we're we're good at making sure that he finds those spots. It's not just about Boswell and Birnbaum, and that's it. Um, we're, we're pretty smart about using the fact that we have Pontius, who's six foot, um, to draw another marker. 
and all of a sudden teams find it hard to compete once they get past you know their two tallest guys and our two tallest, and then we have Pontius and we have Kitchen. Um, that kind of it adds up to teams, and eventually they end up with a situation where um, I believe McCarty was marking Kitchen on that, and, and he's just <laughs> he's he's like three yards behind and running after him, um, but not after probably being no bounced around like a pinball. Right. McCarty does have a weird knack for getting onto the end of corners himself because he mm-hmm. usually it's goes true. unmarked because teams look at him and say, well, we don't have to deal with you. Um, but defensively, he, if New York can't find someone better suited to Mark Perry Kitchen than Dax McCarty, they, they're going to have problems against teams that are doing any sort of free kick rehearsal all year long. Yeah, and we got to say credit to Taylor Kemp for that service. He found yeah. Kitchen perfectly. Um, and, you know, he, he did probably better than we reasonably could have expected against Lloyd Sam and Dane Richards. He, he by no means had a flawless game defensively, but it was right. much improved over some of his it, other outings I against think, those kind of fast, tricky guys. Right. And, and there's a – sometimes we get confirmation bias when a fullback gets beaten by a winger two or three times, and we think, oh, he got shredded all game. Um, Kemp got beaten two or three times pretty cleanly and pretty obviously, but a lot of the other times he didn't. And and Sam ended up choosing not to triple at all and just passing to somebody else. And that's which is what good, you that's a, right. A, a, if you can't win the ball directly, you at least you know discourage the guy from even trying to run past you. And then you know yes, the other team keeps the ball, but at least you haven't been beaten. Um, and Kemp did a lot of that. So I thought it was. Um, like you said, Adam, it's a step in the right direction against uh, – Sam has been really good this year, mm-hmm. and he definitely we definitely had big problems with him in the first game, and this time, not that we contained him completely, but we certainly did a better job against him this time out. All right, enough on the past. Let's turn to the future. DC United will play the Houston Dynamo Saturday, 7 p.m. at RFK Stadium. The game is on Comcast Sportsnet, so set your DVRs and then go to the stadium because yes. you should be at the stadium. Obviously, you should be at the stadium. Uh, Houston, they are 2-2-2 two, two, and two through six games. Wins over the crew and the impact losses to the Orlando City Purple Lions, Ben's favorite team, the Seattle Sounders, and draws against the Galaxy and the Colorado Rapids just because they like to keep it interesting. Uh, only two of those games, two of those six, were on the road, including the draw against the Galaxy and the loss against Seattle. I guess the, the place to start with the Dynamo is at the top. Their biggest change since last year is losing Dom Kinnear, their, their long time, the, in fact, their only ever manager, to the, well, I don't know if this was irony or appropriateness. I don't know exactly what the word for this is, but back to San Jose and the earthquakes for Dom Kinnear. And they brought in Owen Coyle, who you might remember as the manager of Bolton Wanderers and Stu Holden for a little while. Um, Ben, do you have any commentary on, on this whole situation on Owen Coyle coming in premier former premier league manager, Owen Coyle? I mean, it's been interesting. Hashtag retirement so league. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been interesting so far. They haven't been quite as bad as I thought they would be, especially moving from the East to the West. Uh, they're in the last playoff position right now. I mean, it's early, so that doesn't really Which mean Which does mean anything. they're in the bottom half, technically. Well, they're straddling the half. No, they... No, they would be in the bottom half if we, had a, if we had a single table. 
Yeah, well, we and, and they're in the bottom. The last playoff spot. Is oh yeah, in the yeah. They're in sixth conference. Team, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, my math was right. Okay. Yeah, I was yeah, told yeah, there yeah. would be no math, but my math was <laughs> right. They're currently above the Los Angeles Galaxy uh, for the sixth and final playoff spot. But yeah, I, I thought I thought Owen Coyle would be much, much, uh, much worse. Um. They're doing okay so far. They've got, like like you said in your breakdown of their results so far, it's been a weird set of circumstances so far. I don't think they have the talent to make a full season run in the Western Conference. I mean, they could squeak into the playoffs at the end, but... I mean, that's all Kinnear's teams ever, well, usually ever did. Well, yeah, exactly. But just combining the fact <laughs> that it's... A new coach, a coach, a foreign coach, and they just moved to the stacked Western Conference. I and the Galaxy are obviously going to get better because they always do. I I still don't see them making the playoffs this year, and it it's a weird team. It I'm sure they're going to give Owen Coyle at least another season to retool in the way that he wants to retool. So this may end up just becoming a lost season for them, and hopefully DC Knight yeah, will take advantage of that. Yeah, uh, and obviously they're kind of waiting around for summer when they hope uh, Cubo Torres will, will come along like he's promised to, just like Lampard has promised to come along and Gerard has promised to come along. Who knows if any of them actually will, but they're supposed to. I'll, I'll uh, believe that Frank Lampard will play in this league when he actually plays in this league. Yeah, that's that's about right. Uh, Jason, the Dynamo are coming off a shellacking of the Montreal Impact. They just won three to nothing at home against the Impact. What? How are the Dynamo playing? How did they? How did they score three goals on the Impact? Other than the Impact probably being pretty well drained from yeah. a visit to Costa Rica midweek. Well, that's kind of a, a good summation of it. They did not. <laughs> the Dynamo didn't play very well in this game at all. Three uh, nothing. This may be the least fair scoreline in the entire season thus far. Um, the the Dynamo scored early, and then they scored a couple late when the the Impact's legs completely left them. But um, one of those was a goal, a, probably the goal of the week, though, by the rookie. Right, that, right, that yeah. Screamer, that required, was an awesome goal. Right, it required a rookie to score a ridiculous goal um, off the bench. But uh, it, Montreal, you know, they they sent kind of out of having no choice. A lot of the same guys that had played in the Champions League played this game as well. They looked tired from the start, and they paid for it. Um, Houston, right now, they're not a very ambitious team. They're central midfield. They're, they've been playing a 4-1-4-1, and the three central midfielders are Nathan Sturgis, Luis Garrido, and Ricardo Clark. Clark is the most attacking-minded of those those three by, by far. <laughs> Um, Sturgis is actually playing underneath, uh, which is kind of funny because Garrido normally plays an underneath role with Honduras. So they've got an anchor man, a guy that would be better as an anchor man, and then another defensive midfielder in the middle. Um, so they're definitely looking to protect, um, their back four. Uh, so it, a lot of it has just been about being opportunistic and just trying to find, find out who they are. Uh, Coyle didn't really get to bring in too many new players uh, that the coach that you know, they had a coaching change, but they didn't have much of a roster overhaul. A lot of the new faces are young uh, guys that aren't starting uh, their starting lineup in this game. If I'm not mistaken, um, I'm bringing it up right now. 
The only new player that wasn't there in 2014 uh, was Sturgis, who is an MLS journeyman. Um, so it's almost like he was there the whole time. And if you even go further and look at their bench, uh, you've got three player, four players, including Joe Willis, that were not there last year in the whole squad. So it's the same guys that were not that good last year. And I understand why Coyle would take that group and say, all right, well, let's be conservative and not give up many goals. And they aren't. Um, they've only given up four all year, but they've only scored, uh, what, six, I think. And three of them came against the tired impact. So um, very much a grinded out team right now. And uh, I, I don't think that's much. I don't see much changing for them until Torres shows up. Um, for, the good news, I guess, is that uh, Will Bruin is not a starter for them right now, which is always good news for DC United. Which means they won't double their goal tally on the year against us. Well, unless he, unless he comes in. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Um, so, so it sounds like what you're saying overall is that uh, the Dynamo can be had, but it'll probably be one to nothing for DC United come Saturday. Uh, yeah, it might be a, a game, a few chances. The the Dynamo are trying to not to play uh, open soccer right now. Um, their set piece play looks a little less uh, than it has been in the past, um, which used to be one of their main avenues to score, no matter how good or bad they were. Um, well, anytime interested. you're replacing Dom Kinnear with any, literally right. anybody else, your set piece production is probably going to suffer. Uh, most likely, um, but uh, they they have a Spanish center back that has improved things a little bit, but he's been injured uh, multiple times. I think he missed the game against Montreal with a concussion. So if he's not playing, it'll be David Horst uh, coming in for him. And everyone that's seen David Horst knows that he's good in the air. He's slow. He can be beaten on the ground. And since we have likely one more week of Chris Pontius and Jairo Arrieta starting up front, that's a that's a big positive because if we can focus those two on getting past Horst, there's a a big vulnerability right there because he's just not cut out for that sort of that sort of game. He wants the he wants it to be a battle of long balls and. Uh, basically, he wants to be sent back in time to, like, England 1976. Um, he would like to win headers and uh, bash into people, and that would be the end of it. But uh, fortunately... And then go have a smoke. Right. I don't, why don't, I don't know anything about his personal habits outside of soccer. But uh, Jeez, Jason, you're such a jerk. He's a professional athlete. Give him some respect. He's not a chain smoker. Why would you say something like George that? George Best was a professional athlete. That's true. Sorry, he's a 21st century professional athlete. <laughs> How could you say something like David Horse is a chain smoker, Jason? That is just that is not called this, for. This podcast is all about defaming uh, opposing players for no apparent reason. <laughs> uh, ben, what else should we know before this game on Saturday? I, I didn't really prepare much for this segment. <laughs> um. Yeah, like I said, it's a weird Dynamo team. Um, luckily, they're coming to RFK instead of uh, United having to go to BBVA, LOL, BBQ, WTF, Compass Stadium, uh, where they would inevitably lose. Um, to a random 30-yard Brad Davis right-footed shot, which is what happened the first time we went happened. to that stadium. Yeah, that, was right. the, that was the debut of right. BBVA Compass Stadium just because the soccer gods like to tease us sometimes. Right. 
Knowing United's luck, it would be a Joe Willis 90-yard goal <laughs> in the in the 90th minute to win one nothing. But uh, luckily, it's at RFK. Uh, they're not as good as the Red Bulls. The Red Bulls, unfortunately, are rather good this year, uh, even after having fired Mike Petke. So I think a win should be expected from United. Uh, I think the team should look to continue to put things together. They had their most complete performance, even though it was a draw in this last game. They should continue to build on that and look even better. And hopefully three more points are in the offing and the team will stay at the top of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, hopefully we can turn that 70-minute complete performance into a 90-minute actually complete performance come this weekend. Uh, Let's turn now to our news roundup and Twitter box. The news roundup is actually pretty short. It's mostly just to note that Bill Hamid and Perry Kitchen will be joining the U.S. men's national team in San Antonio for the friendly against Mexico this Wednesday night. Uh, I didn't look up the TV information, but it's going to be easy to find. It's probably on ESPN. It might be on Fox Soccer or Fox Sports 1. You can check your local listings. Um, Bill Hamid was on the original list. Perry Kitchen is replacing Michael Orozco on the roster, which is, if you, I think that sound you just heard is every other listener to the show rolling their eyes and sighing because Michael Orozco is a center back and Perry Kitchen is not a center back. Jason, uh, there, I, I think there's a chance Bill Hamid plays, whether he starts over Nick Ramondo or not remains to be seen, but... Will Perry Kitchen get on the field? And if he does, where will it be? Forward. Uh, <laughs> not at forward. Wing um, back. Wing back in a 3-4-3. Three, three. But I, I would say I, I'm not necessarily expecting him to get on the field, though Klinsman has, on multiple occasions, brought someone in and then ended up using them as a starter immediately. Um, but uh, I think if he does play, it's fortunately in his one cap, we had the moment where it was there was an injury, but there was also a planned substitution. There was a little confusion that at first it was believed that he was going to be brought in at right back, but there was a second sub made while this was going on, and he ended up playing where he should be, which is in defensive midfield. Um, in this game, with it being if it was another opponent, I would expect him to, to have a chance to get in against Mexico. I think Klinsman is probably going to leave Kyle Beckerman in that spot for most of the game. Um, I know it's probably stupid of me, but We've, played, we've seen the U.S. play a diamond two games in a row. Um, obviously, that either means we'll stick to the diamond or we will completely abandon it uh, for no apparent reason and with no long-term plan involved. Um, just sort of like spin the wheel and see what formation comes up, and that's what we're going to do. Um, but based only on Kitchen's one visit to the national team camp and based on the fact that Klinsman has often treated the position listing on the roster as meaningless because I, I've never understood why U.S. soccer gets so hung up on that in the first place, but um, it's been going on for years that, like, whatever whatever the coach, you, like when Landon Donovan was still playing, whatever mm-hmm. position he was going to play would be the position he was not listed at. So if he was playing on the wing, he'd be listed as a forward. If he was going to play as a forward, they would list him as a midfielder. I don't know what's going on at U.S. soccer that that happens. If it's just a game that they like to play for, for their own amusement, but uh, – I was alarmed the first time Kitchen was listed as a defender. After he didn't play in defense, I'm a little more encouraged. I still don't think he's got 
he, I don't think he's going to play too much unless Klinsman drops the diamond for uh, like a 4-2-3-1. Then there's room for him to play sort of as a roving destroyer off of uh, Beckerman, um, which still means that Michael Bradley will end up somewhere else because Bradley should have that freedom um, to sort of do, uh, to go between a number 10 and a number 6, but obviously that's never going to happen with Klinsman. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't think he's going to end up in defense uh just because it's Orozco that was dropped, I think it was more of a Klinsman said, what other player do I want to look at? Knowing Probably knowing that he wasn't likely to use whoever was calling in. So um, it's a good endorsement for Kitchen. He might be a little closer to the top of the player pool than we thought. Um, so that's a positive. Uh, but uh, my worries are about him ending up as a center back uh, for no good reason or at the, at the current moment, uh, slightly, if they, we're down from like DEFCON 3 to uh, DEFCON 2, um, as far as my fears of Klinsman mis- misusing um, Perry Kitchen and playing him in central defense. And that brings us to Pedant's Corner. Uh, this is the part <laughs> of the show where I engage yep. in some horrible pedantry, and, and that is to point out that the DEFCON uh, status is actually the lowest state of readiness is DEFCON 5. DEFCON 1 it means so red dumb, alert, the Russians are five. bombing us. 5 is more Defcon than... DEFCON 5 is... <laughs> it goes backwards. You know, it 1 is though. the, the prime state of readiness. I'm we didn't saying, deserve to wrong, get dude. Okay, but it's stupid. <laughs> that, that being said, you got it wrong. <laughs> I, I, I avoided being dumb like DEFCON. <laughs> Let's... <laughs> Let's open the Twitter box. Um, ben, you have a you have a Twitter box sounder now, right? That you can play when I say "Let's open the Twitter box." You have wow! Pew pew pew! We're at peak filibuster, you guys. If if we have a question about a goat this week, we are at peak filibuster. Um, we didn't have one when I checked. No goat questions this week yet. Yet. Actually, actually, uh, Vamos DCU, he's a commenter on the site. He tweets at Vamos underscore DCU, asked us if we play video games. He can't stop playing Goat Simulator. Uh, It's apparently hours of riveting action, so we have indeed reached peak filibuster. Uh, Our first real question uh, regards Miguel Aguilar, and it comes from two different listeners at Brendonica, Brendan Cartwright asks us, at Filibuster DCU, what's it going to take to get Miguel Aguilar off the bench? Should he be loaned to Richmond for a while? And uh, at Murr DCU asks us, where has Ben been hiding Aguilar? I assume he means Ben Olson. Ben Bromley, he's not in your basement, is he? You, you didn't kidnap another player, did you? I mean, I don't have a basement, and when did I kidnap a player in the first place to have kidnapped another one? Oh, right, that's not on the public record yet, is it? I'm sorry. Uh, we will go back and just talk about Miguel Aguilar now. Uh, ben, quick, talk about Miguel Aguilar. Uh, should he get in? Where has he been? Should he go to Richmond? I mean, I th- I thought he looked fairly good in the first couple of appearances he had uh, for DC United. I, I think he should have been in more in recent games. I think as people get more healthy, it's going to be more and more difficult for him to find playing time, so it may end up that they should lend him to Richmond. I mean, he needs playing time wherever. Um, mm-hmm. If he's not going to make the 18 for DC United, he should definitely be loaned to Richmond because he would obviously be an instant starter there. 
and would probably be one of the best players in USL. So that would make sense. Yeah, and he he did make the 18 this weekend. He was on the substitutes bench. He wasn't used. Um, right, instead, when Espindola comes back and when right. Marcus Halstey's on the bench or all starting, yeah. and then things get more complicated. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what, what is somewhat surprising is that Connor Doyle is now entering, not just as a late-game kind of what, what we've called here a defensive forward substitution. He's now also coming in as an outside midfielder, playing on that left side of midfield, kind of, or, and he's, or the right side right. of midfield. He's come in um, for, in that position in the past as well. Right. Right, but but now he seems to be favored over Aguilar now that he's regained fitness there, which I think is, is surprising to at least some people. Well, sure. Um, yeah. Especially given what Aguilar did against Montreal, for instance, well, and the goal he had in preseason. That, that play against Montreal kind of... Um, it's kind of a good way to sum it because on one hand, uh, it's a ridiculous show of, of skill to, to handle that situation. But I'm and I'm sure Olsen told him that right after the game, uh, the the better thing to do is to not even have your your skill put into that sort of test where you have to beat five men on the dribble just to keep the ball. Like he didn't break the break Montreal down and score a goal. He did that in DC United's half or just just inside the Montreal half. Mm-hmm. All that just to keep possession. Um, that's a lot of work that you have to put in, a lot of risk that you're putting in, just to keep the ball at a stage in the game where it should you should be making it easy on yourself. Um, and that that to me kind of sums up why we aren't seeing more of Aguilar and why someone like Doyle's coming in because we keep being in games where, um, for better or worse, we're trying to protect the lead rather than go get a lead. Um, and so when we're hanging on for dear life against Orlando, you're not going to see Aguilar come in because. Yes, he could be that X factor that that changes the game, but at that point we were happy with zero zero. We didn't really want the game to change. We just wanted it to slow down and, and calm down. And um, Aguilar's not a guy that calms the game down. He's a guy that livens the game up. Um, and so against New York, it was the same situation where we're we're sitting on a lead, and so you're going to see someone like Doyle comes in because Doyle isn't going. Doyle knows when he comes in at wide midfield, his job is to essentially. You know, be solid defensively, not give the ball up, and you know, be hardworking, but not necessarily take too many risks on the ball. He, Doyle doesn't really take that many risks on the ball anyway, um, and so that's why he's getting those minutes. It's because the situation is calling for more defensive play. Um, now, there are plenty of people that would like to see United go win games by killing the game off with an extra goal. Um, this week, I think actually that was part of the problem was that United continued trying to find the third goal uh, in played a very stretched out game. And if Aguilar had come in, he might have been able to provide that that extra uh, push to get the third goal. But he may also have ended up involved in, in a defensive problem that sees a goal given up from the run of play instead. Um, he is a very good player, and I do want to see him playing a lot more. And in the in the next couple of weeks, I think he should go on loan to Richmond so he gets those those minutes. Um, but with, with you know the last couple of games, we've wanted to bring Silva in. Um, so he gets a little more uh, game fitness. So that's one substitute already off your off the docket, essentially. Um, you're going to need somebody somebody with fresh legs coming into the midfield at some point. So that's two. And if you're in tight games where you're not as worried about scoring as you are about conceding, then someone like Aguilar is not going to get chosen, and you're going to end up with Doyle playing on the wing, which isn't really that sexy. But you know, the idea is to try and get the job done uh, rather than 
try and win 3-1. We're, we're not that team, for better or for worse, that goes and scores the third. We're the team that chokes the game until it's done. Um, unfortunately, we didn't do it this week, but it wasn't for lack of trying. Luckily, we aren't the team, usually, that is trying to choke the game at 0-0, which seems to be right. too common in MLS this year. Uh, we Obviously, we did it in Orlando, and it worked for us. But we, We've I, somehow I, avoided I just, being one of the 0-0 teams, um, despite yeah. not really finding our footing until most of this past weekend. Um, but that's because yeah, uh, we, we've come up with some big finishes at big times that other teams have failed at. Mo- I mean, most teams have failed at. Yes, it, it turns out score, waiting till the death and scoring in second half stoppage time is not a super easy thing to do on the regular. <laughs> not a not a winning strategy long term. Like we'll just score at the no, end. That, if, if you want to talk about unsustainable strategies as we did last week, that would be right up there. Uh, let's see. Our next, actually, our last question also comes from Vamos DCU at Vamos underscore DCU on Twitter. He asks us. At filibuster DCU, what role does Arietta have when Fabi is back and Silva is healthy? Does he take Doyle's place as the defensive forward sub? A lot of people want him to replace Doyle, but I'm not convinced that that's really his game. Um, ben, what do you think? Is is Arietta going to be the guy who comes in to try to help us kill off the game in the second half if we're ahead, or is he a guy you come on when you're looking to for a goal when you're just throwing numbers forward, or is he just a guy you just put in for a little bit, uh, a little, almost a shade, uh, a little slightly different look than than Fabian Espindolo or Luis Silva can provide. I mean, I think he can do a number of things. I think he might very well take Doyle's place at the on the forward line uh, when Fabian Espindolo is back and Luis Silva is fully healthy. I mean, he showed with his holdup play in this last game that he can get, even though he is a shorter human than Fabiana Spindola. Uh, he can or most or, humans, or most humans, or Connor Doyle. Uh, if we're making comparisons on this team, he can still get physical uh, on the front line. So, I think that he can be a more versatile player. I think we've seen in his extended runouts, we've seen like the hot and the cold of Hiro Arrieta and why eventually uh, Columbus got rid of him. It's yeah, and I think yeah, Columbus yeah. also got rid of him because he's not a he's not a lone forward up top. He, even though that's kind of how he's been used at least these last couple weeks, he's he's better playing in the same way that Espendola and Silva are better. Right. And, and I think balls I think to his feet, good... playing interchanging interchanging with his fellow teammates and and keeping the ball on the deck and not and playing this could... kind of back to the goal role. And I think he could be a good like change-up sub for Luis Silva, uh, bring a little more physicality uh, next to Fabian Espindola, and I think he could do that well. And I think he'll provide just different shades, different looks, throw fresh legs at opposing defenses in the 70th minute. And if Doyle uh, makes his bacon on the wings, uh, I think Hararieta will take his minutes up top. This might be anecdotal on my part and kind of just my own perspective bias, but I, I remember Arietta scoring counterattacking goals against DC United when he played for Columbus. And so in my mind, Jason, you talked about how United is not a team that goes for that third goal. I think 
inserting Arietta as a defensive forward, he definitely provides more of a, a goal threat than Connor Doyle does, on, especially on the counter. And mm-hmm. so, you know, his big chance that he flubbed this weekend, notwithstanding, he's a guy you can put in late in the game when you're looking to defend and counter to, to kill the game off that way. Arietta gives us that option in a way that Connor Doyle really doesn't. Yeah, uh, because it, mostly because Arietta is always looking to go in behind, whereas Doyle sort of mixes up. Arietta always wants to beat the, the. There's a reason why he keeps getting called offside, and it's because he's always trying to get in behind, and he's not. Uh, he's not like a Don Duro where there's no good reason for him to ever go offside because he could just give up those two yards and make it up while sprinting. Um, Arietta really does need to get the timing correct because he's not super fast. Um, and so he gives us that that threat of breaking the other team's offside trap when they're they're desperately pushing up the field. Um, Arietta can be the guy that just breaks in behind, and all of a sudden you've got a a one on one. The problem, and and the question specifically mentions defensive forward. I would not consider him a defensive forward. Um, he is a hard working player, but he's not really going to take up um, position defensive positions that are are as sharp as Doyle. Um, I think he's more of a the fact that he's a threat to get in behind forces teams maybe to stand back. And so in a way it's a, it's a defending by attacking sort of sub um, by just giving the other team that one more thing to worry about. Uh, But I think in a, in a tight, in a really tight game, like against Orlando, for example, um, I don't think Olsen would have brought him in. And and I also wonder how much he's going to make the 18. I think he's going to be in and out of the 18 because you've got a Spindola Silva, uh, Pontius is going to be whether he's um, you know starting somewhere on either wing or if he's coming in off the bench. Um, he's going to get into the 18 ahead of Arietta, uh, and at that point it is kind of Arietta versus Doyle. But the fact that Doyle can play on either flank and also be defensive might it, it probably is going to depend on who we're facing uh, from week to week. If we're playing a bad team and we expect to be trying to end the game. Uh, just by possession, it's going to be Doyle over Arietta. But if we're playing a team where we're going to need fresh legs, because we know that even at full fitness, Silva tends to get subbed off between the 60th and 70th minute um, from Olsen. That's like a standard substitution. Um, in those situations where we're playing a team that, you know, we're on the road, we might be behind, um, it could be Arietta. But it's going to be, I think, something where he's in and out of the 18. Uh, but since he's an attacking player, he's probably... For the, for the most part, if you're on the subs bench, you're more likely to get into a game if you're a wide midfielder or a forward, especially with Ben Olsen. Um, he doesn't, like most coaches, he doesn't want to change his back four, but he also doesn't want to remove Kitchen or Arnaud or if Halsty takes over, um, then Halsty. But those guys, those six aren't com- coming out unless they have to. And so if you're Arietta or you're Doyle, you're going to, if you make the 18, you're likely to get in. But if you know the question is more, is he going to make the eighteen at all? And I think it's going to be from week to week a different answer. All right, Ben. Anything to add before we we sign off tonight? Screw the dynamo. Okay. Hopefully, that Will Bruin like... does not ever play again against United. Against United, yeah. Well, he should play. Right. He deserves his livelihood. Just not against United. Against United, yeah, yeah, yeah. He can play against every every other team. I will add that that only a few minutes before the show, uh, Dy- the Dynamo traded uh, Jason Johnson for Alex from Chicago. VCU's own Jason Johnson. That's right. Um, and so they've lost a speedy forward winger that didn't often play. Uh, they'll bring in Alex who can kind of 
add a little something to central midfield that the we mentioned before it was three defensive midfielders. Uh, maybe Alex. I don't know that they're going to just throw him into the mix. Uh, it's a starter a couple days from now, but um, it does add, give them something where they've got a little more of a technical option in the middle than they used to have, where they literally did not have a technical option. They just were looking to destroy, 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 and then hope that one of uh, Barnes or Davis or Garcia could figure it out uh, down the field. Well, we'll find out if Alex gets in the lineup this weekend at RFK. And till then, actually, until next week, thank you all for listening. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. Of course, we're on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu for the website. Send your hate mail to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. And, you know, the, the hate mail's really dropped off lately. We haven't gotten hate mail, fan mail, any kind of mail um, in, in the numbers that we'd like. So, so make sure you, you send us email. Show, show the love, you guys. Come on. Show the love. Or the hate. We're on iTunes. <laughs> or the hate. Show the hate. Yeah. yeah. Show your hate. By all means. Show, show the, the goats. <laughs> don't don't show the goats. We don't. The, keep it safe for work. You guys. I think that was a yeah 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 album. <laughs> <laughs> we are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. We are on SoundCloud. Uh, check us out on any or all of those platforms. Make sure to give a a rating and review just to help spread the word. The best thing you can do to spread the word, of course, is to actually literally spread the word by telling other people about the show. Uh, So do that at the tailgate, do that at the bar, do that wherever. Find a random stranger on the street and uh, yell filibuster, filibuster, filibuster at them instead of stick, stick, stick. Um, I think I think they'll get the point at that point. <laughs> they certainly won't think it's a comment it, on America. The end politics. result will be them running away either way, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's true. Um, unfortunately, I don't think that strategy will lead them to the show, but it might get us in the news, and then we'll if find you do out it, tell us about the cause it, of a random... It would meme. be very amusing if that was to happen. If you can change <laughs> so, somebody yeah. off just by yelling about goats at them because you listen to the show. <laughs> <sighs> Hopefully we will be able to talk about that next week. Until then, for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Oh, that's a sad one. <laughs>